Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew 5, 2 through 11. Matthew 5, 2 through 11. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This is God's word for us this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Join with me in prayer. Our great God and Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we genuinely seek your help. I don't pray Lord, at the start of a sermon because that's how sermons are supposed to start or because that's what I'm supposed to do. We all feel the need for your help because, Lord, we, we are prone to wander. And, Lord, we all feel it. So we all need your help this morning. No doubt some here are eager to listen, prayed up. They've they really do want to hear from you, Lord. Others perhaps are a bit distracted, maybe thinking about lunch plans or that to-do list this afternoon. Some of us here, Lord, are sleepy. Others perhaps have young children who are a bit restless. Some are sad, some are sick. Others are very happy. Lord, wherever we may be, help us. Speak to us. And in these few moments that you have given us, give clarity to our thought and our heart and our purpose so that far from being something that we just do and far from being a waste of time, that we would hear exactly what you want to speak to us. That our spiritual ears and eyes would be opened. Please do that. Lord, and we'll trust you to do that. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. GCF Valley exists to glorify God through gospel-centered worship, evangelism, discipleship, and community. Again, you'll find that on the wall. It was there in 2023. It's going to be here in 2024 and beyond. It's probably a little bit too long to put on a mug or a t-shirt, uh, but it's a bold mission statement nonetheless, if you really think about it. To say that something exists really gets to the heart of the reason for being. Companies exist for a reason. Uh, in organizations exist for specific purposes. Maybe at one point you created a personal mission statement. I aim to or I exist to, or maybe you did that as a family, we exist as a family for this purpose. Churches like ours, local churches, exist for specific reasons. And so anytime we say we exist to or for dot, 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 
what follows the dot, dot, dot is really, really important. It's, it's a central issue. It's not a peripheral issue. It's not something that we just sit around and think, you know, that wall's really white. What should we put up there? That's not it at all. We exist means then that there's a reason and there's a purpose for our being, and that is very central to the heart of who we are and to how it is that we are faithful to God's call right here in Spokane Valley, Washington. So when we say we exist as a local church to glorify God, we do that through several means. We do that through the never-changing, always life-giving good news of the gospel. And it is that gospel that is celebrated in worship. It's that same gospel that is proclaimed as we evangelize. It's that same gospel that really forms and undergirds our disciple-making and the maturing of disciples and is the very foundation for our relationships with each other here in the community of faith. So this morning, our focus really is on the first part of that mission statement. GCF Valley exists to glorify God through gospel-centered worship. And it's, it's really important, and it's that important that we're actually going to spend two weeks on this first clause, gospel-centered worship. Now, when I say the word worship, what comes to your mind? Many things? Just a few things? Perhaps when you hear the, when you hear the word worship, you think, Yep, that's super important. I got it. All of life is worship. That's something I do all the time. We're called to praise Jesus and everything that we do, wherever we do it, nothing is more important. And obviously, that is true. We aim to please God at all times and all places. You can worship God as you work. You can worship God when you're in school. You can worship God when you cook a meal, when you change diapers. You can even worship God when you're shoveling snow. Rightly understood, worshiping God is, is not something that just happens for 90 minutes, give or take, uh, every Sunday morning. So we could call that 24-7 sense of worshiping God. Let's call that our scattered worship. In other words, it's what happens Monday through Saturday when we're not here for 90 minutes a week. It's what happens when we go to our communities, our neighborhoods, our families, our jobs, and so forth. And we're going to talk more about that scattered worship really in a couple weeks as we think about evangelism and our call to uh, be salt and light and to share the good news of the gospel. This morning, though, our focus, and next week as well, will be on our gathered worship, our gathered worship. In other words, what's supposed to happen when we meet like this each and every Sunday? What are we asking the Lord to do when we gather here on Sunday mornings to worship him? Now, the difference between scattered worship and gathered worship, such as we're doing this morning, is really the difference between daylight and a laser. Both are light. Both are really important. Both are necessary and vital. But, but a laser is consolidated. It's, it's more extreme. It's intense light. It's focused. And so that's really what happens when we gather on Sunday mornings like this, our worship is focused, laser-like, God-centered, Christ-exalting, spirit-empowered. Maybe when you think of worship, you think of singing. That's what worship is. 
Worship is when a bunch of people like us get together once a week at the same time and same place, and we sing the same songs, ideally in much the same key. That's what we're doing. When I was in seminary, my last two years, I traveled out from uh, north shore of Boston to a little church in central Massachusetts. And on this particular Sunday, the pastor was away, so he tapped me and said, okay, you're up, you're preaching. And so this was right after I had just taken my first preaching class. So I was ready, I was primed, I was pumped. I was ready to tell these folks everything I knew about God. And so what I failed to do, though, was talk to Billy. Billy was the music leader. Billy led the music team. Billy was a faithful servant. He took his role very seriously, for which I was thankful for. And on this particular Sunday, Billy led our small congregation, maybe 60 to 70 people. He was leading uh, us through that last song. And I remember thinking, okay, you're up. Lord, help me not to say anything foolish. Help me not to say anything heretical. Uh, I, I really need your help. And so the last song ends, and Billy says in his very thick New England accent, that's the only kind of accent there is in New England, it's always very thick. So Billy gets up and says, well, now that we're done worshiping, you can all sit down and listen to this sermon. And I thought, man, that's not really helping me, Billy. Thank you for, for nothing. I don't remember exactly what I said. I stumbled through a prayer and tried to, I think, call people to say, you know what, even though we're done singing, we're actually still worshiping. And I'm not trying to be too hard on Billy. He was a really good guy. But I don't think anybody ever told him. I don't think he really understood that at all, that worship, I mean, in his mind, worship means singing. And so as soon as the singing is over, well, that's when worship ends. Now, there is that thought. When we sing, we worship. But when we listen to a sermon, as you're all doing now, you must be doing something different. And I'm not quite sure what else you're doing. Maybe you're doing a lot of things. That's between you and the Lord. But worship is certainly not less than singing, but is it more? Is it much more? And of course, the answer is yes. And so I learned several lessons from my friend Billy on that particular Sunday. I learned from Billy that on Sunday, our words really matter. I, I learned from Billy on Sunday, spoken words really matter. I also learned from Billy that theological words like worship really matter. We need to know what we're talking about and explain that so that it's clear. And theological precision, when we talk about theological words, that's also really, really important. So we don't want to assume, and I don't want to assume, that when I say the word gospel-centered worship, that you all nod your heads and you think, yeah, I know exactly what you mean by that. Maybe, but maybe not. What my friend Billy didn't quite get was when we gather to worship, such as we're doing now each and every Sunday, everything we do here is worship. All of Sunday morning is worship. So we worship God in song as we sing. We worship God as we engage our hearts in prayers and as we listen to the sermon and as, yes, we receive the Lord's Supper and we worship God as we talk to each other, maybe before and after the service, as we enjoy that sweet fellowship with other believers. We're worshiping God through it all. And here's what's I think so profound. This gathered worship, what, what we're all doing right now, this gathered worship God uses to shape us, to form us, sometimes subtly, 
even imperceptibly, but other times in very concrete and noticeable ways. Gathered worship forms us and molds us and shapes us more into the image of Christ. And the good news is that's why our worship is centered on the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, all the saving work of Jesus for you and for me, that's what makes our worship possible. In other words, if Jesus isn't who he said he is, if he didn't do what he actually did, why are we here? We're really just spinning our wheels. We're, I would, we, we should just be watching football. The gospel is what we proclaim in worship. And so it's this gospel, this is what we sing in worship. The gospel is what calls a people like us together in worship. The gospel is what inspires a people to praise in worship. And the gospel is what sends us out scattered in a life of worship. So Jesus Christ is at the center of all of our thinking, our biblical thinking here about worship. So that's why every Sunday, what an incredible opportunity we have as we're scattered throughout the week, we come together, we're gathered together, and what do we do here? Well, we, we sing about the good news of the gospel. We, we sing about the cross. We glory in our Redeemer. We marvel at the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is for us. He's not against us, that he, by this Holy Spirit, is in us. So our gathered worship, brothers and sisters, is ultimately to him and for him. He's the most important audience at every worship service. And that gets to the heart. That gets to the point of why we're actually here. We gather the gather every Sunday corporately like this to fix our eyes on Jesus, our Savior, so that he might, and by his spirit, mold us and form us and transform us and shape us more and more into his likeness and in his image so that more and more you and I would have his character in everyday life. Now, I don't think anything I've said up to this point is really controversial. I'm just really trying to establish a foundation here. There is a blessing given by God to all those who worship him. Yes, as we scatter throughout the week, that blessing remains. But there is a peculiar, in a good way, a unique blessing that God loves to give to those who gather like we do each and every Sunday. And I want you to see this blessing from God. And I, I don't want you just to see it this morning. I want you to experience it in your heart. And that blessing is from Matthew chapter 5 and what Lori read for us today. So we turn to the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are, are really a series of blessings from God that pronounce, that Jesus uses to pronounce on all those who follow him, all those who worship him, who really seek him. So this is Sermon on the Mount. This is arguably the most famous sermon ever preached by undoubtedly the smartest man to ever live. He has the best information about the most important issues of our lives. So what that means is that we ought to pay attention. We really should listen to him. So let me read just one beatitude. I'm, I'm doing the beatitudes a great disservice this morning by only looking at one of them. Lord willing, we'll circle back at some point and we'll go through all of them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, 
for they shall be satisfied. Let me just read that again. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, the word blessed is really a powerful word. It carries quite a punch, packs quite a punch. But it's actually been kind of watered down in our day. Oftentimes, we, we, we might say, oh, what, what a great blessing, or uh, I was really blessed by that. And it's certainly not wrong or inappropriate to use this kind of language, but so often it can be the case that when we think about blessing, when we talk about blessing, what we really mean is that was a really enjoyable experience. That kind of made me happy. I was really thankful for that. But this word blessed, as Jesus uses it here, doesn't refer to something necessarily that made us happy or even an enjoyable experience. When Jesus uses it here, he's saying blessed means I am cared for, I am provided for, and I am empowered by God himself. That's what Jesus means. So in other words, to be blessed means the God of the universe is on your side. He's working on your behalf to do you good and to bless you. And some of you, if you've been here for a little while, you've noticed that at the end of our uh, gathering on Sundays, we pronounce a benediction. That's how we close the service. A benediction is kind of a fancy word for a blessing. It's not like we don't know how to end a worship service here, like somebody needs to say something so that people know that they can leave. Not at all. I mean, in the closing benediction, we are calling down the blessings and the favor of God on you and your family. We are asking God in that benediction to continue to do his work in your life, to continue to give you grace as you leave and as we're scattered. It's a pronouncement of blessing, and, you know, that's, that's just not willy-nilly. I mean, we're intentional. Those are not just throwaway words. So what is then, from Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, what is God's blessing for us when we gather every Sunday to worship him? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why? For they shall be satisfied. They shall be satisfied. That's in the passive tense. What that means is that this is an action done by somebody else. We don't satisfy ourselves. This comes from outside of ourselves. Somebody is satisfying us. So who's, who's doing that? How are we satisfied? Well, it is, in fact, by God himself. God is the one who does that action. And he does that in a very profound way. God will satisfy certain people. Certain people, Jesus says, will be satisfied by God. And so the obvious question is, well, am I one of those people? Who are those certain people that Jesus says will be satisfied by God? Do you long for something more in 2024, that rhymes. I didn't know that. Are you, are you looking to fight sin in the power of the Holy Spirit more and more, to deny yourself, to take up your cross? 
Are, are you maybe asking the Lord for more fruit of his Holy Spirit in your life? Lord, I don't want to be, I don't want to be angry. Help me. I, I want I want to live with more self-control. I hope your answer is yes to all of those things. And if so, Jesus says that you're the kind of person that God delights to satisfy. Because notice, God's blessing is on those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Divine blessing, in other words, does not come to those who hunger and thirst for more leisure time. It doesn't come to those who hunger and thirst for career advancement or a comfortable life. God's blessing doesn't come to those who hunger and thirst for respect or applause or attention from others. It does not come to those at all. Jesus doesn't promise God's blessing for those things. Jesus promises God's blessing on all those, every man, woman, boy, and girl, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. God says, I'm going to satisfy that person. I'm going to fill them. I'm going to mold them. A little bit later in this really profound sermon, that's really what Jesus says. He summarizes this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what's going to happen? All these things will be added to you. So Jesus says, yes, there's a priority. Worship me, follow me, make me the priority. And the result of that is that all those things, and in that context, he's talking about, you know, what am I going to eat? What am I gonna, how am I going to live? Where am I gonna, how am I going to provide? The practical details of life that are, in fact, important, and Jesus recognizes that. He says, look, seek me first, worship me, make that your goal, and you're not going to have to worry. You don't have to fear about all the very important practical details because I got it. Because I'm your heavenly father who loves you, who's already got a plan for that. So this morning, if you're here and you are spiritually hungry and you are spiritually thirsty and you actually say, Lord, I, I need to be satisfied by you, I, I want to be satisfied by you, well, then you're in the right place. But I want to get even more specific this morning. If that's you, then, then how does that actually happen? What does that transaction actually look like? In other words, how does God actually satisfy us here on Sunday morning in the 90 minutes that we have together? What does that look like? Well, God, in his great mercy for people like us, sinners, sufferers, strugglers, the joyful, wherever you may be, whatever emotional state you may be in, whether you've had a really great week of 2024 or you think, I, if this is the way this year is going, I'd rather pass. God, in his great mercy, gives to people like us pathways of grace. Pathways of grace, so that on a Sunday morning, he might satisfy us. He might fill us, shape us, and mold us. A pathway of grace. You may 
know these as the means of grace. I'm speaking about the same things there. A pathway of grace such that God sends his grace upon us as we are aligned to him and his ways. Now there are, I've already mentioned, there are several ways. There are all kinds of pathways of grace that God gives to us on a Sunday morning. Prayer. The Lord's Supper, we're nourished in that. The the sweet fellowship we do enjoy. Those are all pathways of grace that God will use to satisfy us. But I want to highlight two very important and indispensable pathways of grace that each and every Sunday God uses to satisfy us, to fill us, and to mold us. And here's what you're going to find. Both of these pathways of grace that we're going to talk about one this week, one next week, are very ordinary. There's nothing glamorous or cutting edge or nouveau about any of these things. In fact, to some outside the church, you may have friends and so forth, they think, well, what do you guys do at church? And you just tell them, and they think, well, why would you do that? In fact, why would you do that every Sunday? What's the point? There's nothing nothing very glamorous. Yet faithful Christians throughout church history continue to walk down these two pathways of grace every Sunday in our worship of God so that we might be satisfied by God. We do these things every Sunday, from one Sunday to the next, over and over again, when we feel like it, and yes, even and especially when we don't really feel like it. So these two pathways of grace that I'm highlighting here are expository preaching and congregational singing. Expository preaching and congregational singing. We'll look at expository preaching this week. Next week, we'll look at congregational singing. So if you really didn't sing this morning, you get a break. Come back next week. Hopefully, you will sing. But both of these pathways of grace, brothers and sisters, God uses to satisfy. It's like when we gather here, he backs up the dump truck of his grace and it just flows over us. Now, I don't think most of you here need to be convinced of the need for preaching in a local church. But what kind of preaching is the preaching that will actually satisfy your souls? And some of you are thinking, well, shorter preaching, better preaching. Amen. Okay? We, as a church, as elders, okay, we firmly believe that the consistent, consecutive exposition of the Bible is the most effective way to care for you, for your souls to be satisfied, and to build a healthy, God-glorifying, spiritually mature, and vibrant, and flourishing congregation. Now, I just said a lot there, so I'm going to say it again. As elders, right, we love you. And one of the ways that we love you is that uh, through the consistent, consecutive exposition of the Bible, that is the most effective way for you to be satisfied. And that's really the only way that we seek to build a healthy, vibrant, spiritually mature group of believers. Expository preaching, in a nutshell explains the biblical text in such a way that the main point of the passage is, in fact, the main point of the sermon. So the sermon or the preacher simply exposes 
what is there. Now, if you like a more formal definition, here you go. Expositional or expository preaching is empowered preaching that rightfully submits the shape and emphasis of the sermon to the shape and emphasis of the biblical text. So in other words, when you gather, we're here this morning, you ought to be able to open up your Bible and you ought to be able to, you're hearing what's being said and you ought to be able to look in your Bible and say, yep, that's what it says. That's what Brinkman just said. That's what Lundberg just said. I, I read it. It's right there. Yep, right there. So as a preacher, I am not free to do with the Bible what I want to do with it. I'm not free to make the Bible say what I think it should say. God's word is sovereign, not me. So it wins all the time. Now why is this sort of preaching, this consistent, consecutive, expositional preaching, like what's the goal of that? Like why do we do that? There's a lot of reasons, but let me just bottom line it for you. You can ask me after the service and I'll give you dozens of reasons. But the beauty, the, the real uh, joy of this kind of expository preaching is that it does three things. And these are three things that, that I pray about every single week. Through your word, Lord, through this text, may Christ be exalted. We exalt the Savior. The sinners, all of us, are humbled. And we promote godliness. Practical godliness. That's, that's what we want. As we read God's word, as the word is preached... Jesus Christ is exalted as our only hope in this life and the one to come. That we're humbled because we rightly acknowledge that there are areas in our lives that are not honoring to him. We want to take seriously our weaknesses, our failures, our sins. Knowing that Jesus has provided an answer. And then we want to live in such a way that would really honor God and the gospel. That means living lives more and more of practical holiness. That's why we do this. And so when that happens week in and week out, God is glorified and you and I are changed more and more into the likeness of our Savior. So a steady diet of God's word, this consistent consecutive exposition of the biblical text, that's a pathway of grace that God delights to use each and every Sunday to fill us, to satisfy us, to mold us, and to shape us more and more into his image and likeness. So some of you may be fairly new here at GCF, and you might be coming from churches, maybe those that you grew up in, or just more recently where uh, this, this, this is a bit new. This expository preaching maybe is kind of a new concept, and maybe it's a little bit foreign. You're perhaps used to uh, more topical messages and more topical sermons. What I just said about expository preaching doesn't mean that we are anti-topical messages. If you haven't figured out, that's what we're doing here for the next five weeks. It's a topical sermon series on why we exist as a local church. So in the, the lifespan of a local church like ours, obviously there are times and places and certain Sundays where we do want to address a specific issue. We have the freedom to do that. Several years ago, at a, it was right after a new members class. It was a Friday night, and one lady stuck around. I knew she had a question, and uh, so most of the people were gone. And she said, look, I have a question. My question is about preaching. I said, great, I, I hope I have an answer. And she said, well, my, my question is really about expository preaching. This is kind of new for me. It's a new term. 
Uh, I think I get it. I'm really thankful for this church. I'm really liking what I'm hearing on Sunday mornings. But, but she said, I think I need some help because to me, expository preaching means that you guys preach long sermons and you don't skip any verses. And I thought, well, you're actually farther along than you think. That's pretty good. <laughs> That's kind of where we're at. And so we had a delightful conversation. I was able to talk a little bit more about what we really mean by that. Now, yes, preaching expositionally or expositionally, that does not mean the sermons are really, really long and that we stay in books for many, many years. I value the Puritans. They're healing balm in many ways for our souls. But on this particular note, the Puritans are not exactly, are not exactly the example that we would want to follow. One Puritan, Joseph Carroll, spent 24 years and 424 sermons in the book of Job. You guys get it easy. I mean, I, and my understanding is like no breaks. Like not for Christmas, not for, 424, 24 years. Now that's not exactly the pattern we're hoping to follow, okay? It, it is possible to stay too long in one verse or even one book. We're not talking about that. And again, our upcoming series here in 1 Samuel will likely be about 35 sermons, maybe 40, well under 424. Expository preaching doesn't mean we preach long sermons and we just have to stay in these really long sermons here. It just means that whatever the Bible says, whatever's written in here, that's what the sermon is going to be about. So when we get into 1 Samuel here, if you're here and you're thinking, boy, I wonder what Branson's going to preach about next week. You know how you figure that out? Just keep reading because that's going to be the sermon next week. Now, as a preacher, one of the practical blessings of this kind of preaching is that it frees me from the tyranny of having to choose a text every Sunday. And it actually provides much needed continuity from week to week. And even more importantly, and I want you to get this, brothers and sisters, what it does is that it lets Scripture decide what we need to hear. It's not me or Dave or even the elders deciding, well, let's preach on this. I think, I think that'd be good. No, God's word, scripture decides. Scripture drives the sermon and not the other way around. Because it would be of no use. It would be of absolutely no use to you if I just get up here every Sunday and talk about the things that I'm really passionate about. The things that I'm interested in. My own spiritual hobby horses. That's not going to feed you. That's not going to satisfy you at all. So in preaching expositionally, we get a steady diet of God's word. And what that means then is that God's word is likely going to take us to some out-of-the-way places and some out-of-the-ordinary verses of the Bible. That may be 1 Samuel for you. Unless you are following a Bible reading plan or maybe you had a friend that said, hey, you should read 1 Samuel. There's gold in there. Or you have a very particular interest in monarchies in ancient Israel you're probably not turning to 1 Samuel in your morning devotions. So this kind of consecutive preaching gets us all around and through the Bible much more effectively than any topical series or bouncing from one series to the next on marriage, on finances, or on gluttony. God delights to satisfy our spiritual hunger and thirst. And one of the primary ways that he does that on Sunday mornings is when his word is rightly preached and then applied. 
So let me just close now with just a couple of what I hope will be practical application points for us as it relates to engaging with God in this first pathway of grace. Next week, we're going to talk about congregational singing. I hope you come back for that. But as we think about expository preaching, here's really the question that I'm going to leave with you and that I'm going to help hopefully to answer. How do I best listen to a sermon so that I actually get something out of it? What does that look like? How do I best listen to a sermon on Sunday morning so that I actually get something out of it? Listening to a sermon is, I, I think, is sometimes assumed that that's kind of a gift that super spiritual people have. I'd really love that, I'd, but I don't really have that gift. But clearly some people can listen really well, but others can't, and they probably never will. And that's not the case at all. Did you know that you can actually grow in your ability and your desire to listen to God's word? You might see this just like any other area in life where you can learn and grow. J.I. Packer writes this, we complain today that ministers do not know how to preach. True enough. But is it not equally true that our congregations do not know how to hear? That's what I said too. I'll leave that for you to decide. Don't miss this point though. Preaching matters, yes. But if you don't have ears to hear, worship is not happening. Expository preaching requires supernatural ears, supernatural listening. So the preacher... That's me. I have a responsibility, a sacred responsibility to make the text clear, to preach it in such a way that you will understand, that it will prick your conscience, that it will uh, stir the affections, that it will also stir your mind and your heart. You, the listener, also has a responsibility to work hard at hearing exactly what is being preached if true worship is, in fact, to take place. So how do we grow in that? How do we grow in listening to the word of God that's free so I can actually get something out of the sermon? Four things. They're, they're, they're quick. First, come faithfully when the church gathers for worship. Come faithfully. So where does Sunday morning worship fall on your list of weekly priorities? Wherever it may fall, Seek to bump it up just a little bit. Even if you're here 52 weeks out of the year, it may be that the issue then, it needs to be bumped up, not because you're not here, you are here, but it may be more of a matter of heart engagement. What are you actually thinking when you are here? Are you in tune, dialed in with what's going on? Are you aware of maybe meeting needs around you, how you might serve others of God's people. It's your heart engagement. It's super easy, brothers and sisters, to come here one Sunday, come back maybe a few Sundays later to kind of drift in and drift out, sit on the edge as a spectator. I mean, we breathe the air Monday through Saturday of anti-commitment, don't we? But if you really believe that God seeks to satisfy you, if you really believe, we're just going to take Jesus at his word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. 
that he's going to satisfy. It's going to be God that's satisfied. If we actually believe that, that as we gather here on a Sunday morning, that he is shaping you and molding you, conforming you more and more to his will, then you're going to want to be here. You're going to want to show up. You're not going to want to miss that blessing that God, in fact, has for you and what he intends to give you. So that sacred commitment to gather every week with your covenant family, such as we are all doing this morning, that is absolutely vital to your spiritual growth and health, and it's vital to the people around you. So we show up not just for us, but it's also for the good of those around us. God doesn't typically give us quick fixes that come from hearing one sermon, maybe another sermon at some point. No, the way that God moves and works is that he shapes our hearts, he molds our minds, he forms our character slowly, over time, week in and week out, by the steady drip, 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 drip of God's word. So come faithfully. Second, come hungry. Come hungry. Expect God to speak to you. And expect God to fill you and satisfy you with his good word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In other words, for him. For they shall be satisfied. The truth is, from week to week, we can and sometimes are satisfied by so many other things. Things other than God and his righteousness. And even when that's the case, and sometimes it is the case, let's just be honest, because we're in church, even, even that is the case sometimes where we kind of just drag ourselves here and we're not expecting much of anything and we're not, e- we're not even thinking too much. Or maybe we're not even thinking clearly. Our God is so good and kind and gracious that he still delights to bless. He still satisfies us. He, he's, he is that good and kind. He loves us that much that even when we're really not thinking anything about him, he blesses us. But some of us may come to church on Sunday and we're just frankly bloated from our intake of news, current events, social media, sports, YouTube, or whatever the remaining items are in our Amazon shopping cart. I know you know this, and I'm reminding myself of this. There is no spiritual lever to pull when you walk in here on a Sunday morning that will just sort of magically open up the floodgates of God's grace. So if you're struggling or if you're, if you're not really worshiping God from Monday to Saturday, if you're not even really thinking too much about him, you're kind of just doing your thing, why would you suddenly expect a Sunday morning sermon to blow you away? I'm not a magician. I am not a miracle worker. I am not the savior. I am a shepherd. I want to point you to him. But I would also encourage you then to consider your habits and your patterns and priorities Monday through Saturday. And then, yes, by all means, let's get together and talk about why you're getting nothing out of Sunday morning. Come hungry and thirsty for the Lord. And the promise is he will satisfy you. Third, come humbly. Come humbly. Not every part of every sermon ever preached will apply to you in exactly the same way every Sunday. But some part of every sermon, by God's grace, 
will. So approaching a Sunday morning with just a very sincere, earnest prayer that says, Lord, I know you have something for me here today. I'm not quite sure what it is, but I know that you have a word for me. I want you to shape me and mold me, Lord. I need to grow. That's a prayer that God delights to answer. Come humbly. So if your initial response to most sermons is, I'm really glad my wife was here for that. I'm glad I dragged my teenager out of bed. They kind of look terrible, but at least they heard that. That's going to be good. Or, man, I'm glad my dad is here to hear this. It's going to be good for him. Well, then you're not really approaching this humbly. You're not coming humbly. And you will miss the blessing that God, in fact, has for you. So let me just give you a couple of practical questions to, to help us all in this, to listen humbly. Okay? What is God seeking to communicate to me? In this passage, what's revealed about my heart? What does this say about the desires going on in my own life and soul? How does this passage, how does this verse affect my devotion to the Lord? Why am I bored right now? Why am I uncomfortable with what's being preached? How does God and the gospel actually bring comfort? An encouragement to me. Now, some of you, I know, are busy. You're taking notes and you're trying to write those things down. That's one of the reasons why we have the sermon notes and video online after so that you can refer to that. There, there's probably dozens and dozens of more questions. But the point is, come humbly. Listen humbly. Ask the Lord to do work in your life, in your heart first. And finally, fourth, come ready to obey. Listen for the purposes of faithful obedience. Hebrews 3.15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Brothers and sisters, there is an urgency to our preaching. There's an urgency to our hearing. And there needs to be an urgency to our obedience. Because tomorrow's not guaranteed. Today is. So don't put sincere courageous obedience to Christ off another day. I'll get to it next week, maybe when we start 1 Samuel. Listen with the view and the intention of obeying Jesus in the nitty-gritty and the practical details of life this week. And find him to be faithful. See how he will bless Thanks for listening. I'm done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. God, thank you that you were so good and kind that you would, you would provide us with your word to preach, to teach, to counsel, so that we might pattern our lives, so, so we might know you. Lord, your holy character is revealed in your word. And so, Lord, I pray that as we've discussed just a small part of your word this morning as it relates to worship, I pray, O oh Lord, that you are pleased. I pray, Lord, that as we now scatter, that you would be pleased with our obedience to you. 
Give us grace, Lord, to follow you faithfully today and this week. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us with joy, the joy that comes from knowing that you are our Savior, that you desire to bless us. Lord, we don't want to miss out on that. So I pray that you would continue to satisfy us. In Jesus' name I pray.